0: Welcome back to Unboss. I'm Ravana, filling in again for Senator Nina Turner for the rest of the week. And at this time I'm gonna remind everybody not to forget to subscribe if you're not already. Share the stream, and send some love in the comments because after the break we're gonna get into your comments and we love to read them. So <laughs> we've got some stories for you all today. If you are anywhere and you've been outside at all, you'll know that it's been exceptionally hot. We're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about Ron DeSantis' latest attack on the LGBTQ community and how it's honestly been a massive flop for him. Um, and we've got a bunch of other stories coming up, including one really concerning one about changes to our citizenship test. And joining me today, discuss all of these is Rebel HQ contributor Francesca. Fiorentini, Francesca, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to get into these stories with you. Yeah, yeah,
1: hope everyone's fourth was good. It's so good to be here with you on Senator Nina Turner's show and I'm glad that she is taking some time. Um, But yeah, there's, I've been, my brain's been on vacation a little bit. So I'm excited to finally dive back into the cesspool that is this country.
0: And it is a cesspool and it is a cesspool that's being massively impacted by climate change and denial of that despite people being able to feel it happening around them. So with that, let's just jump into this first story. The globe broke a new record on Monday for the hottest day ever recorded. But then that record was broke again on Tuesday. Although it happened on a holiday, it is absolutely nothing to be celebrating. So while most of America was enjoying hot dogs on the 4th of July, according to Common Dreams, on Tuesday, the global average temperature peaked at a new all time high of 17.18 degrees Celsius. As regions worldwide from Asia to Africa to the United States South, reeled from dangerous heat waves. Now, millions of people across the globe were being put at risk. Not only on Tuesday, but also Monday. As I said, both of these days were the hottest days ever recorded. And just to get a better idea of what that means, climate scientist Bill McGuire put out this tweet. Monday, July 3rd was the hottest day ever recorded on planet Earth. A record that lasted until Tuesday, July 4th, totally unprecedented and terrifying. So we can see in this graph, this global temperatures hit a new record. The change in the temperatures over the uh over time. And we'll get into some more about what's causing these rising temperatures. Um, but Francesca, it's times like these where it's just so hard for me to fathom climate deniers. Because at this mm-hmm. point, you know, if you live, I'm in Chicago, it's 90 degrees outside right now, which is not common for this time of year. It's hot, but it shouldn't be this hot. People can feel this happening and still not believe in it. Absolutely
1: no, and and they're told that if they do believe in it, that they're Democrats, you know, and that this is somehow a partisan issue. But of course, behind closed doors, ultimately they will all agree, and everyone will agree. It is getting hotter. It's just not politically convenient to admit that. And but there's no denying it. And so it is in our faces. It is everywhere. And that's why we truly need to make. We need to turn what is supposedly anger at you know environmentalists into anger at corporations for polluting and driving massive amounts of CO2 emissions, which is trapping the heat and ergo the in insane climate that we are experiencing today, tomorrow, this entire summer, next year, and onward and so forth. And to say nothing of the wildfires and the natural or unnatural disasters. And truly, we need leadership. And sadly. Even the smallest thing that the Biden administration attempts to do cannot get across the finish line. And and yet, this is also a government that is too shook to do things like, I don't know, rescind all the subsidies given to the
0: fossil fuel industry. Let's see how they like that. Exactly. And it's definitely not, you know, a coincidence that the people disproportionately impacted by climate change and the climate disaster now are low-income people and people from the developing world. And we'll get into that in a minute. But first I want to talk about um, what caused these conditions and how you know El Nino contributed to it. So Earth's hottest day, according to Common Dreams, came after World Meteorological Organization, the WMO, declared the onset of El Nino conditions, which are marked by warming surface waters in the Pacific. Now, the WMO Secretary General Petteri Talas said in a statement on Tuesday in part. The onset of El Nino will greatly increase the likelihood of breaking temperature records and triggering more extreme heat in many parts of the world and in the ocean. The declaration of an El Nino by WMO is the signal to governments around the world to mobilize preparations to limit the impacts on our health, our ecosystems and our economies. Now these records are also hitting China particularly hard. According to Bloomberg, China is experiencing a scorching heat wave less than two weeks after temperatures broke records in Beijing. Extreme heat in India last month has been linked to deaths in some of the poorest regions. Last week saw a dangerous heat dome cover Texas and northern Mexico, while the UK baked in its hottest June on record. Now, Francesca, reading that Line about governments need to mobilize to protect their citizens. I almost laughed because it's at the time when you know we're seeing Greg Abbott roll back protections for workers that just required them to have a, a 10 minute break every four hours if they're working in construction outside in these temperatures. And workers have died in the heat in Texas after that was passed. So just knowing how almost comically evil and <laughs> some yep. of the response by government has been as far as protecting its citizens is it's it's just really disconcerting
1: No, and I think that you're speaking to exactly um, how the climate crisis is bearing down on everyday people, not just here, but in China. I mean, think of the number of factories there, right? Um, Think of India. Think of all the industry that, you know, propels global capitalism that rests on the shoulders of working people um, who are being, yeah, sweltered to death and not being compensated and not being given, you know, things like air conditioning in, you know, UPS uh, trucks, which I know, I guess, is maybe something that they one in negotiations, we shall see. But also in Amazon warehouses, right? This is super basic that there isn't enough air conditioning and so on and so forth. Um, And that I think is where we have to draw strength and hope from. We cannot just rely on the Biden administration or Greg Abbott of all people to do anything about this. We need to remember it's people power, international people power that is going to bring governments to heal because we need government to act on the climate. There is no shortcut on this, y'all. Like. Sadly, no matter what we do individually, which I think is important to remember to do things individually, but we need the mobilization, the money, the resources, the infrastructure of the government. And and I think the last thing about you, I mean about China is Man, I wish the Biden administration weren't going in the opposite direction on this. You know, man, I wish they were not, you know, ginning up more anti-China rhetoric and fear. Um, at a time when we need to come to the table to work on climate solutions with China and stop being a like, oh, well, how come you have this stuff and we know you're stealing our job no, no 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 no. We're beyond that. We're beyond that. And excuse me, until you get a light rail, America, you can sit the F down.
0: <laughs> no, exactly. And I mean it is sort of, you know, as younger people looking at who's in charge <laughs> of these countries, looking at Joe Biden who I mean honest to God, I don't think he'll be around in 4 years, <laughs> you know, let alone right. decades from now and you know, we have people like Diane Feinstein who just could not give a singular crap about protecting the environment for future generations. So that's it's disheartening, but I think you're exactly right. It's people power it's us coming together because if we don't, then the corporations are just gonna steamroll us. Yeah. But let's move into this next story, which is significantly funnier (laughs) and also about the people in power a little bit. Because a small dime bag of white substance was discovered in the West Wing of the White House on Sunday evening. US Secret Service spokesman confirmed this morning that testing shows it was cocaine now got President Joe Cain Biden <laughs> in the White House. So an investigation <laughs> into how it got there is underway. The white powder was found during a routine search. Let's get into some of the details <laughs> about this absolutely absurd story from ABC News. The cocaine was found on the ground floor of the White House near the West Executive entrance where visitors are instructed to typically drop off their cell phones when visiting the White House. Some visitors are able to tour parts of the West Wing. And tours typically take place on the weekends. When asked if there were tours this past weekend, the Secret Service would not confirm that saying "There, these are details that are pertinent to our investigation and not something we can get into. Now President Joe Biden and family members were at Camp David at the time the coke was discovered. So if you were wondering if it was Joe Biden's coke, the answer Is most likely not, it was probably brought into the White House from a tourist who tossed it from a search. And we've got some more on this, but Francesca, what kind of person is getting lit at the White House? Like, honest to God, who's like, you know what would spice up my tour of the West Wing? Yeah, Some yeah, I'm doing all the museums. I'm
1: doing all the landmarks. I only have like <laughs> six hours to do it. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Like this person is like created this very short timeline for themselves to do everything. No, I love this because I also think it's a little bit like maybe a let's go Brandon Knight. Who's like, <laughs> you know what I'm gonna do. I'm a sprinkle coke in the bathroom, and then everyone's gonna be like, "Hunter Biden," <laughs> you know, and uh, that's even funnier that someone would try to uh, orchestrate a plant of cocaine on the Biden family.
0: I'm gonna believe this theory because I like to believe it, and honestly, it, Republicans were really quick to say, "Oh, it was probably under Biden," and and to find a weird way to blame Joe Biden. So let's start with Marjorie Taylor Green. Oh God, Marjorie Taylor Feet, as I've been calling her after seeing that horrifying picture of her toes. On this July 4th, it has been confirmed that the white powder found on Sunday in the White House has tested positive to be cocaine. Is this rock bottom yet, or how much worse is it going to get? Honestly, though, can I just say for a second, um, (laughs) so many presidents have had like affairs in the Oval Office, but some person who went on a tour sprinkling cocaine is rock bottom. I don't. (laughs) I think you know there were slave auctions held where you know in D.C. right outside the White House. This is rock bottom. Crack rock bottom.
1: I I was just gonna (laughs) say crack rock bottom. I was also gonna say people in powder. I think that's very important to remember. (laughs) Uh, you know, all the things they get away with. This is a funny story. I just think, I mean, look, it's serious because what if it was something worse? Um, and we all know what the Secret Service probably did with it. All right. (laughs) We've heard of their history of partying. Do we trust them? I don't know. Um, but Someone's keeping Joe Biden safe, I guess, this is good, I think.
0: <laughs> um, but you mentioned earlier Hunter Biden and of course, some Newsmax hosts. The top tier of, of investigative journalism immediately jumped to that theory as well. So let's watch. What got there or whose it is, but it appears that cocaine has been found at the White House. And it wouldn't be a thumping July fourth weekend without Hunter Biden ripping lines off of a bust of Teddy Roosevelt. A mysterious white powder was discovered in the West Wing on Sunday, prompting a hazardous materials call to the fire department. I wish I was making this up, but it's true. Newsmax can confirm the powder is presumed by the fire department to be cocaine. It was sent to a lab for further analysis. Hunter, I can tell you, was at the White House on Friday, leaving with his father for Camp David. Sadly, he may have forgotten his party favors, which is unfortunate. Imagine having to hang out with Joe Biden for four days sober. Now, that's a long weekend. Okay, a lot of gross things about that segment, but I have to say I'm viscerally angry that at the start of it he said, a thumping weekend and not a bumping weekend. It was right There, the cocaine joke wrote itself and you messed it up. Somehow, you messed it up still. But in a strange turn of events, a Fox News anchor was actually the one to call out this blaming Hunter Biden behavior. So let's take a look at that as well.
1: Social media starts
0: making fun, bringing up Hunter's
1: name. Mm. It's not funny. And, I, and I, think that, I think there was a lot of cheap shots taken at Hunter Biden. He's a recovering addict. Nobody wants to see him regress or slip back into addiction.
0: And I think that the social media comments were
1: just very tasteless on this
0: whole story. I agree with I agree with everything she said, except for that nobody wants to see him slip back into addiction. There is an entire like wing of the Republican Party who is cheering for that very thing to happen, obsessing over that very thing. Happening, but I mean, at the end of the day, Francesca, my question about the story is, when am I going to be able to get my cocaine back?
1: <laughs> I love, I love the concern trolling of that woman. Like, this is not about Hunter Biden. Who, if he did like relapse, I think that we really need to do something about it. Like, you do not care. You don't care. You're just, you're doing this on purpose to be like, it's serious, you know? And it's like, I wish. You know, this generally makes me think like, yeah, Coke stories are kind of funny, but also like, Coke's awful. Like, it is, it is straight up like, it's blood drugs. You know what I'm saying? And I'm this is like not on, you know, being harder on coming down on like, you know, oh the 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 border and all the like the traffickers. No, 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 no. This is about drug policy. You know what I mean? And if we truly, I mean, look, the fact is, is that if this coke were found on a black or brown person in, you know, uh, the middle of Chicago, um, there would be a very different. It would never make headlines, but that person's life would be ruined. So just a lot a lot to say about this um it is funny i do uh i do think that it was a nice try and i <laughs> am very surprised that that gentleman from newsmax wakes up every morning and puts on a suit and a tie and in his best peter jennings voice like imagine having to deal with biden sober <laughs> like I'm, that that dude does
0: coke Right. Imagine having to be a Newsmax host. sober, I don't. I don't think. That's exactly funny. right. <laughs> I mean, I. You're exactly right though about the concern trolling because I mean that Fox News is the network that's been cheering on the war on drugs since its inception. Like, don't pretend that you give a singular, you know, uh, care about you know actually helping people who are addicted and all. Let's. Let's be realistic about you know the the policies they've been pushing on Fox News and the substance abuse happening off camera at Fox News. It's no, it's an open <laughs> secret, like just ridiculous. But um, we'll keep you all updated. I know you're all very you know <laughs> anxious to know who brought the cocaine into the White House. So we'll update you on those stories moving forward. Uh, but we have to take a break. But stick around because we'll be right back. Welcome back to Unbossed. First I want to say, as I always do, big shout out to the mods for keeping the chat clean, safe and fun. You're doing the Lord's work out there. Next, I want to remind everybody about our memberships. One way you can save while signing up for memberships is by joining annually. Our annual membership starts at $49.99 per year. Now you know that members make a huge difference here at TYT. And together we can amplify the issues that really matter. Medicare for All, criminal justice reform, racial justice, climate change, just to name a few, of course, fighting for queer rights, especially at a time with an unprecedented attack at the, on the community. Now, you can support our work at tyt.com join. Um, now, don't forget if you ever miss an episode or if you're busy during the day when you're at work or your boss doesn't want you to watch tyt at work because they suck, you can always listen as a podcast later on. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, don't forget to leave a review for Unbossed, give it five stars, search Unbossed with Nina Turner. Rate five stars and let us know what you enjoy about the show. And speaking of letting us know what you enjoy about the show. Let's look at your comments. Over on Twitch, Hut says just Ray exclamation point, exclamation point and hopeful heart and open eyes says, Rayvana, thank you so much. I, I, In my head, I read that like the uh, Ricola commercials. <laughs> um, hopeful heart and open eyes says Francesca, one of the best to do it. Um, and then a, a Whatever globe it emoji. Is, I'm doing it. One <laughs> of the best, one of the best in the game. Doing right it now? worldwide, I think that's what the globe emoji means. Yep, that, that makes sense. I always tell my cat that she's one of the best in the game right now. And I know she doesn't know what that means, so that she's the best to ever do it. But you know, she I think it's it's high praise. She does. <laughs> um, level 18, White Girl says Ray and Franny. What a delightful duo. This should be a wonderful show. And and you're damn right, it should be a wonderful show. <laughs> um, and Marley Baby says a little late to the show, but so happy to see Ray and Franny. Oh mm-hmm. thank you, Marley Baby. Um, over on YouTube. Looney Tunes 9000 says, "Hey Ray and Franny, Rayvana is my ray of sunshine. Let's go. Oh, thank you. I could use a ray of sunshine, honestly, because it's pouring rain here in Chicago. Which oh, I mean, gosh, I'm glad Maybe it is
1: cool down though, right? Isn't that it, the whole point of rain?
0: Where exactly, that? exactly? Because God, I mean, it was. I haven't even left the house, and it's it's. I have my AC blasting. It's still hot in here because <laughs> it's so hot outside. Um, Okay, Bernie the Kiwi Dragon says, I hope Nina didn't get any trouble for that inadvertent F bomb. Did, wait, the one that I said, or did she accidentally say the f-bomb? I definitely accidentally said it on Monday, but I <laughs> I, I did a little finessing. So it didn't come out exactly like that. Um, and Joni King says, great afternoon and happy Wednesday, ladies, Oh, Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> um, and Mark Davis, thank you for being a member for 18 months, says, now I saw snow this one time. So climate change is just the lizard people lying to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do love that argument though, Oh well, sometimes it's cold, so Sometimes checkmate.
1: it's so cold, we have to burn our furniture in the furnace because <laughs> there's not enough electricity to generate heat, right? Even though yesterday it was 75, right, Texas, isn't that normal? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it
0: is cold. Literally people freezing to death in their own homes, but it was cold. So global warming, not buying it, not buying it. Um, from the members section, Eclectic miscellanea says, "I think I'm going to steal that expression, Francesca. The cesspool that is this country. It will be a good change from saying hellscape or dystopia."
1: Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. Hellscape is sort of we've we've done hellscape
0: enough. We can move to cesspool. <laughs> we've graduated. Uh huh. Wolf Dragon Donna says, "Love Ray and Franny. You two are awesome." Well, thank you. Hey. And Inquisit. Schner? Uh the name is complicated. Inquisitioner, I'm gonna assume is what it is, but there's a space in there. Ray, yay, and Franny. I'm a fan. Have a nice uh have a nice piece, humans. <laughs> well, thank you. And we will. You have a nice piece too. What? What are we talking I've about? I've never I've never heard that, but you got a nice piece. <laughs> hey, nice piece. <laughs> okay. Um, what's not so nice though is this next story and what the you know government is trying to do with the immigration process. So the path to United States citizenship is looking like it's gonna become more difficult as a result of some changes to the testing. Now this is coming from the Associated Press. This headline here reads US citizenship test changes are coming, raising concerns for those with low English skills. The naturalization test is one of the final steps towards citizenship. A months long process that requires legal permanent residency for years before applying. Many are still shaken after former Republican President Donald Trump's administration changed the test in 2020, making it longer and more difficult to pass. Within months, Democratic President Joe Biden took office and signed an executive order, aimed at eliminating barriers to citizenship. That in that spirit, the citizenship test was changed back to his previous version, which was last updated in 2008. And I have to say at this point, you know, the Republican, you know, Donald Trump and the Republican Party making it harder to become a citizen legally while also virtue signaling about how they want legal immigration to the United States. They don't want a illegal immigration, as they'll say, but they're making the process to become a citizen, to come here legally, to go through this process legally so much more difficult that it has the effect of. Inadvertently increasing undocumented immigration Mm -hmm. to the United States. So Mm -hmm. I hate that line, I hate that argument. And I also hate that despite the fact that the Biden rolled back some of those changes in December, United States authorities said an update is needed to the citizenship test after 15 years. And this new version is expected late next year. So let's talk about some of the changes that they're asking for from Associated Press US Citizenship and Immigration Services proposes that the new test adds a speaking section to assess English skills. An officer would show photos of ordinary scenarios like daily activities, weather or food and ask the applicant to verbally describe the photos. And this is a sizable change from the way that they're currently doing it. Because in the current test an officer evaluates speaking ability during the naturalization interview by asking personal questions the applicant has already answered in the naturalization. Paperwork and Francesca, I mean, we talked about this a little bit before the show. I don't understand why this is a requirement at all. You. We don't have a national language. You should not have to show English proficiency to become a United States citizen, in my opinion. Because you could be born here and never learn to speak English because your family doesn't speak English. And that would never be a requirement made of you and you could get by Pretty okay. I mean, I have an aunt who's Korean and has just refused to learn English, and she's been living here longer than I've been alive. And God bless her. And she's she gets by just fine. So I mean, the idea that they're going to force people to learn to speak English and you know put that added pressure on them. Yeah, they're they're
1: business owners. They they are uh, workers. They are caregivers. They are family. They're their parents. uh, They're Americans. They you know. Eat hot dogs and light off fireworks on the 4th of July, maybe, maybe not. And uh doesn't matter if they speak English or not. Like like it is this is that is the point of this country, right? You know, yes, it is taught in school. Largely, you probably assume folks are going to learn a certain a modicum of english right but this is of course a barrier barrier to that and moving us towards what i think one of the not 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 one of the first pillars of the right but one of the sort of priorities of the right is to make english a national language right as if again as if any other language, let's say Spanish, as if Spanish were like really gaining on English, and oh no, oh everyone's looking. At, it's the same, you know, sort of again Christian fragility that you see everywhere, where it's like oh no, other religions are coming for us. Where, when, how? Nope, no they're not. You recognizing other holidays and other religions, respecting them, um, absolutely does not mean Christianity is under threat. It is still the majority religion in this country, just like English is the majority language. But again, this is all neither here nor there. The point is most Americans, citizens, could not answer the current naturalization test even if they really study. Like I'm just I'm, let's just keep it one hundred. Like full disclosure. A Canadian friend of mine asked me some questions, and I was like, oh I, I don't. I don't know that one. Like there was a couple. The exact number of Congress people. Let's be real, 435, I believe now. I know that for sure. For sure, I was flirting. I was like 437. I was close. But look, it's not easy already, and to have to answer that in English with a naturalization officer in front of you. Which, by the way, another Canadian friend of mine, a lot of a lot of Canadians looking for citizenship, um, said that it's incredibly nerve-wracking when a an officer is speaking to you directly. And even though you've studied, you know, you kind of buckle up. And sometimes they're like weird or whatnot. And so. There's a lot of pressure anyway even though folks have waited for this moment, have studied, have worked for this moment, have lived in this country and paid their taxes for many years. Um, but yeah, it's It's again with everything related to immigration in this country, it is all politicized, it is all for show. As you pointed out, it has nothing to do with doing things the right way. It is to do with maintaining white English minority rule.
0: Exactly, and it really perpetuates like the racist stereotype that someone who doesn't speak English or is not proficient in English is dumb. They're stupid. When you know, if you ask them some of these they've studied, they've prepared. If you ask them these questions that their native language, they would be much more comfortable and probably much more successful. Um, but just to go back to the changes between the current test and the new test, Bill Bliss, who's a citizenship textbook author in Massachusetts, pointed out some of the setbacks on this new proposed photo based test. In a medium post, he wrote: Picture prompt speaking tests depicted depicting situations of ordinary ordinary life. Excuse me, are commonly used to place students into general English language classes or evaluate their progress, but they do not elicit the level of meaningful performance of English skills that applicants demonstrate when communicating their most important personal information during the normal course of the interview. But the picture test isn't the only proposed change from the original test. According to the Associated Press, another proposed change would make the civic section on US history and government multiple choice instead of the current oral short answer format. Currently, the applicant must answer six out of ten civics questions correctly to pass. Those ten questions are selected from a bank of 100 civics questions. The applicant is not told which questions will be selected, but can see and study the 100 questions before taking the test. Mm -hmm. Now, this change has been met with significant backlash. Line, Lynn Weintraub, a citizenship coordinator at Jones Library's English as a Second Language Center in Massachusetts said the proposed format for the civic section could make the citizenship test harder for people who struggle with English literacy. That includes refugees, elderly immigrants and people with disabilities that interfere with their test performance. And Francesca, you're exactly right what you were saying before about there's plenty of people who are you know, natural American citizens born here. Who couldn't answer these questions? I no. still, there's countries where, you know, I think in Portugal you can become a citizen just by purchasing property. Um, a lot of countries don't. You don't have to jump through these sort of hurdles. You don't have to, you know, stand up and salute the flag and say the Pledge of Allegiance. So, you know, to ask these civics questions again, the people who are born here don't have to know. <laughs> it right. just, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I mean, maybe we should know
1: it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not arguing against that. But again, all of it is just another tool on the tool belt of maintaining, uh, again, the white minority rule. And, you know, these are of all the people you're talking about, people who are like truly like. Are going through the process of naturalization. What they don't—they don't just have green cards. They want to be part of the political process. And the other thing that is obviously peddled by the right is that all the people who want to be uh, citizens now—they're all Democrats—and they're all, Democrats all going to vote and they're going to replace you. And 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 it's like no, that's also not true. Stop like. Stop assuming that everyone is voting democrat, you know? Right. <laughs> and start assuming that they're probably not going to vote cuz most Americans
0: don't. Anyway, it's the most patriotic thing you can do. That's the most, most patriotic American. thing. <laughs> God. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye out on that. Hopefully, they're just proposed changes so fingers crossed they don't go through. God, we know we don't need any more hurdles to becoming a citizen in this country. Um but <laughs> There are some horrible things happening in this country, and I need you all to think back to a few days ago when Ron DeSantis supporters dropped this horrifically anti-trans and anti-gay video last week. We'll do everything in my power to protect our LGBTQ citizens. But Caitlyn Jenner were to walk into Trump Tower. And want to use the bathroom? You would be fine with her using any bathroom she chooses. That is correct. In the future, can transgender women compete in this universe? Yes. Make America great again. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus Christ. I mean, I got some t- stuff to get into, but Francesca, <laughs> at first, I feel like we have to address this insane ad. <laughs> it's it's so
1: it's so bad too. Like it's so poorly done, you know. Like we were talking about in the damage report and how it just like is really trying to look like a teenager memed it, but it's it's not. Because there's references to like American Psycho and like Troy and other movies that came out, you know, in the 90s. You're like, no, no, this is not a, you know, young kid memeing this thing. Um, And and actually, upon second glance, because we've cut it before, you know, the oily dudes, shirtless, uh, you know, who are like, yeah, Ronda says is exactly like that. Um, But, you know, it reminds one. Yeah, the MAGA campaign, Trump's campaign actually was embracing LGBTQ plus people. They were like, no, we are all united against Mexicans, you know what I mean? Like we're all united against Muslims. Like it was kind of an interesting development, if you will, in the you know broad uh, rainbow fascist agenda. Let's just call it that. Um, And yet, how quickly because the right has literally nothing to get incensed about. They're like, um, gay people. Let's do it. We're 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 bringing it. We're doing gay people again, and go, cause I'm tired and I can't think of anything else. And of course, I'm not gonna actually deliver for the people.
0: Right. And I just gotta say, you know, like as a member of the queer community, watching these ads where it's like, oh, we'd like to think of Trump or we'd like to think of Ron DeSantis as some big muscly guy that's like all wet with oil. It's like, come on, how are you gonna be homophobic but also make a very gay ad? Like, let's <laughs> let's get real about <laughs> what's going on here. And to frame like Ron DeSantis is like like Giga Chad dude, that guy is a I'm sorry he's the biggest bitch. <laughs> he's a loser yeah, yes. if there ever was one and whiny you know, whiny right. loser.
1: I mean like I I don't know like between Trump and him it's it's a contest on who's whinier, right? I right. think DeSantis <laughs> has a beat because he's it's just the fragility. These books are hurting my <laughs> soul. Uh, like.
0: Come on, come on. Anytime me. he gets asked a question by a reporter, he turns to like a little like Weasley guy, like oh, I can't believe you would ask me that. I'm not gonna answer. But also, there's just something so like gross about his mannerisms, like very in, not human about him. <laughs> that it's like putting fingers. Guy. We yeah, we don't need to get into it. Right, but I mean, one good thing is that I guess you know they thought they were gonna score a major victory with this ad, but the reality is that that is not at all. What happened, even with the rise in uh, supporting homophobia and anti LGBTQ sentiment, things like this have not seen success for Ron DeSantis. Because according to his own spokesperson for his super PAC never back down, Steve Cortez, uh, he spoke about it on Twitter spaces and this is what he had to say. Right now in national polling, we are way behind, I'll be the first to admit that. I believe in being really blunt and really honest, it's an uphill battle. I don't think it's an unwinnable battle by any stretch, which I'll say this guy is claiming that he's really blunt and honest. But the Never Back Down Pack, we just covered this last week on the main show, was found to have been busing in fake Ron DeSantis supporters to Iowa to make it look like he had a groundswell of support there. They were paying these people, they were essentially actors to put on shirts and say they support Ron DeSantis, dance around the Iowa State Fair. I mean, okay, this guy's really honest, sure. But I mean, he is right about one thing, and that's that you know he's wrong about it not being it's still being winnable. Ron DeSantis is is statistically eliminated. Okay, he's not gonna win. <laughs> he's not gonna win. the It's the not primary. unwinnable
1: is like the biggest hedge ever. You know, right? like. I'd really like to, you know, have a consultancy job after this <laughs> campaign completely implodes. So it's like not unwinnable in a world where we <laughs> could imagine that polling wise, and if you just section off Florida, like it's just oh God, dude, I, I'm sorry for you. And you will get hired, I'm sure, because you're a ghoul and you work on the DeSantis campaign. Um and I think it's so funny that DeSantis is just like his strategy is buses. Like <laughs> I'm just gonna bus migrants over here. And bust them like pretty soon, he's gonna be like, you know what? We're just gonna collapse the trips and we're gonna put DeSantis shirts on the migrants (laughs) and like send them to Iowa. Um, yeah, look, what sucks about DeSantis is he can arguably do more harm as the governor of Florida than necessarily in the White House. And I, he would do a lot of harm in the White House, but the guy's already, um, Screwing Floridians. He is already making it more dangerous, more awful for everyone in that state. And I'd like to say, move everybody. But sadly, you know, he hasn't offered bus tickets to all Floridians.
0: Right. I, I do like the idea, though, that they're sitting around like a conference room table and they're like, do you have any ideas for this campaign or for your governorship? And it's just like, buses, buses, yeah. is, no, no, nothing else. Sits back, buses.
1: Yeah. We got. I'm this. sure his <laughs> like brother-in-law owns the charter bus company. We're gonna find out
0: that like he's getting rich off of it in some way. Right. Someone's getting kickbacks from his big bus plan. Um, but the person who's not getting kickbacks is Ron DeSantis. At least not electorally, because according to CNN, according to the latest CNN polling, 47% of Republicans and republican leading registered voters said Trump is their first choice for the nomination, with support for DeSantis at 26. Now, panelists on CNN spoke about the desperation of the DeSantis campaign, especially after the release of that horrendous and extremely homophobic video we played at the top of the story. So here's what Alan Sia Johnson had to say. Alencia, this DeSantis video, one of the weird things about it is that it descri- he describes himself in the video by showing all these headlines as draconian. At one point, he's described as evil in another headline that's shown in the video. What kind of campaign strategy is this? I don't think there is a campaign strategy here for this, except for to shock and awe. And maybe, you know, he's thinking, let me figure out a way to pull some attention from Donald Trump. But I don't think this is the smartest way to do that. I mean, it's extremely homophobic, is extremely transphobic, and to the point that Jeff was making, it's very concerning for you know moderates and independents who, again, are your general um, election voters. It's also concerning that this video dropped literally right after the Supreme Court decision on Friday, where a lot of LGBTQ Americans on both sides of the aisles are concerned about their safety moving forward. And so in addition to this shock value and how absurd this literally is, it's not quite the strongest campaign move for him. Now I'll say just to one point that Alencia made, which was that it doesn't appeal to general election voters. That's really true. But you know, when you're running in a primary campaign, who are you really playing to? You're playing to your core base. So I could see that being the strategy. But I mean, is your core base not just Trump supporters? And let's be honest, Donald Trump won while you know dancing with a dancing to- Macho <laughs> like, man. Racho man, right with a pride flag on stage. So I know that the, you know, you know, as a member of the community, I've seen the environment become significantly more hostile towards us. But I just, I think it's such a, a it really is like a last ditch effort to just win over the most reactionary elements within the party. Who, let's be real, we're never going to vote for you, and they're always going to support Donald Trump. <laughs> no,
1: exactly. I mean, again, I think it's a desperate ploy, and it's again, but it, but it has real life consequences for the gay community, the LGBTQ community in Florida and around this country, you're seeing Republicans lose, they know they're losing. This is not a winning issue for them, we saw how they did in the midterms. And instead, they're like, I mean, it's the same thing with women's reproductive freedom. That's the last thing that they think they can still control. So they're going to go after it, it is a sign, in my opinion, of desperation. It will not stand, it will not hold. And case in point, as you're pointing out in all the polling shows, DeSantis is losing. Yeah. It's losing. It's a losing issue. Trump's like xenophobic faux populism, that can win. That can win. Why don't you do more of that? I mean, you know, hey, I'm not your advisor in hell.
0: <laughs> I mean, and that's exactly right because they're getting everything they ever wanted, the Republican Party, but they're losing huge portions of the electoral basis. In doing so, and you know, hopefully that means that we won't see a Republican victory anytime soon, and the Democrats can take back the House and keep the White House. But I don't know because they're running Joe Biden, so who's to say? Yeah. <laughs> um. Speaking of Joe Biden, let's jump into this next story. Federal judge is now blocking the Biden administration from asking social media companies to take down certain content. This is a big deal, and this could be a huge blow to the White House's fight against misinformation about COVID vaccines, elections, and many other critical issues. It's a big win for the Republican attorneys general who sued and accused the federal government of censorship.
1: Now in his ruling, the Trump appointed judge writes, quote, during the COVID-19 pandemic, the United States government seems to have assumed a role similar to an Orwellian ministry of truth. What? <laughs>
0: that judge has been reading Matt Taibbi's writing because, (laughs) I mean, it's pretty word for word. But like maybe yes, right? Right. (laughs) So as you all heard, a federal judge wants the Biden administration to apparently stop limiting disinformation on social media. Now let's take a look at more on this ruling per the New York Times and also per the federal judge in Louisiana who made this decision. In the ruling, Judge Terry A. Doddy of the US District Court for the Western District of Louisiana said that parts of the government, including the Department of Health and Human Services and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, could not talk to social media companies for the purpose of urging, encouraging, pressuring, or inducing in any manner the removal, deletion, suppression, or reduction of content containing protected free speech. And granting a preliminary injunction, Judge Dowdy said that the agencies could not flag specific posts to the social media platforms or request reports about their efforts to take down content. And ruling on the ruling on Tuesday in a lawsuit brought by the Attorneys General of Louisiana and Missouri is likely to be appealed by the Biden administration. But its impact could force government officials, including law enforcement agencies, to refrain from notifying the platforms of troublesome content. Now. Ali Honig, CNN's senior legal analyst and former assistant US attorney of the Southern District of New York weighed in on this ruling. So let's take a look at that. This is a
1: conservative
0: ideology that clearly comes through in this Decision. It's a conservative political ideology, right? We saw some of the quotes, questioning vaccines, questioning masks, conservative talking points. But the ruling itself is the opposite of judicial conservatism. This is one of the most aggressive, far reaching rulings you'll ever see what this judge is purporting to do is to micromanage really the day to day interactions between essentially the entire executive branch, all these agencies that are listed as defendants and the leading social media companies. And in the actual temporary injunction, the judge basically says you're not allowed, administration to talk to these social media companies about any protected free speech except for cybersecurity threats, national security threats, criminal threats. But where's the line? Who's going to police this? Yeah. and as we said earlier, it, the Biden administration is going to challenge this ruling definitely, and it'll probably be reversed on appeal, hopefully. Um, but Republicans are have already been really quick to celebrate it. Uh, from the New York Times article, Jeff Landry, the Louisiana Attorney General, said in a statement that the judge's order was historic. Missouri's Attorney General Andrew Bailey hailed the ruling as a huge win in the Republican and the fight to defend our most fundamental freedoms. Both officials are Republican. Now, there has been an increase uh, in disinformation regarding COVID-19, of course. From Digital Journal, the impact of this trust deficit becomes evident in different areas of research. One study reveals that nearly 80% of adults have encountered at least one of eight false statements about the COVID-19 pandemic. Study further found that belief in COVID-19 misinformation was directly correlated with both vaccination status and partisanship. And it won't surprise you that this next graph will show you where people are consuming the most misinformation and disinformation. Yeah, of course, it's Facebook, of course it's on facebook naturally i mean francesca i had friends who who said things to me that i was shocked that they you know i had a friend who said she was afraid to get the vaccine because she thought it would make her uh, unable to have children in the future and of course where did she find that on facebook and i think that there is you know a, a, a security issue that the government has an interest in, in you know preventing this information from spreading widely because it does put people at risk it severely puts them at risk of harm yeah, right it is a
1: national security threat if you believe that covid-19 is real if you believe that the over a million people who died in this country are actually dead Or guess they all just died of you know pre-existing causes. Mm, I wonder. Or you know, I uh, like it is. This is so critical to the moment that we're living in, and sadly, once again, we do not have the government equipped to truly take this fight on. Uh, Look, this judge was appointed by Donald Trump in 2017. I'm sure he uh, bought his bar degree. you know, on some sort of floating island owned by Peter Thiel. Like, that's, I have no question about that. This dude was put there for a reason. This is why elections, sadly, in our duopoly system, just matter. Right. Um, and, and, Look, I think that the other thing about to note about this is that the Biden administration had a disinformation like um, board they were putting together, if you guys remember that. And then guess what, all the right wing, they, they descended on one of the advisors. I believe it was Taylor Lorenz and they freaked out about this person advising the White House. And then what did the White House do? They backed away from their disinformation board. So we are very ill equipped to combat basic disinformation. And this again, it's like, the money is in favor of disinformation. The algorithm loves disinformation. The air go all of these social media sites love disinformation. No one is putting the brakes on the amount of disinformation. No one, no one. So who's going to do it? It has to be the federal government, It has to be the government to play some
0: kind of role. Exactly, and just to the point quickly about judges, I mean, it it hasn't escaped me that the people who were telling you not to worry about appointments of of federal judges are the same people spreading COVID misinformation now that the judiciary is squarely in their favor. (laughs) But let's move on to this last story before we wrap up here. Now, thousands of hotel workers braved the California heat this weekend and went on strike. Here's a look outside the W Westwood Hotel in Hollywood, California from July 2nd. So there you saw them outside on strike. Let's get into some of the details about the strike from CBS. Strike kicked off Sunday as members of the Unite Here Local 11 Union began forming picket lines at some of the biggest hotels in Los Angeles and Orange Counties, leaving hotels scrambling to accommodate guests. Hospitality workers told CBS News that striking was no longer a choice, but a necessity. And I have to stop for a second to say, you know, they talk about the hotels are scrambling to accommodate guests. That is the point of the strike. The strike is to show how essential these workers are to the functioning of these businesses. And of course, they're scrambling now because they have been screwing them out of protections and, you know, you know, other labor rights that they have for so long, and they're saying, Look how hard it is for you to do our jobs. You need us. So get to the table and negotiate with us. So, anytime like a news, I don't think that's necessarily what CBS was trying to do, but anytime you hear somebody, you know, virtue signal about, Oh, but now life is so much harder for these companies, that's the point. Strikes are supposed to be disruptive. Now, the strike is made up of thousands of workers, 15,000 workers to be exact, over 65 major hotels. This includes housekeepers, cooks, and bellhops. Now, they're striking because their pay is so bad, and we've seen this story so many times before. Their pay is so bad, they literally cannot afford to live in the cities where they are working. Mm -hmm. From that CBS News report, the union wants an immediate raise of $5 an hour. The hotels are offering 250. For an employee working 40 hours a week, that's a difference of over $5,000 a year. The union also wants better health benefits, higher pension contributions, and less strenuous workloads. During the pandemic, hotels cut jobs, but as the tourism industry bounced back, workers say they're still being asked to do more with less. Now one Mm -hmm. union member, Maria Hernandez, had this to say. The workers have told them that what they need to actually be able to live here and survive here but the hotels aren't willing to negotiate i mean it's two dollars and50 cents difference like get to the table and give them what they want you're you can't run your organizations without these workers
1: right i mean and this is the thing the pandemic did right it was like it it Tricked bosses and the owners of all of these institutions and corporations that, like, oh, you don't need this many workers. You can do, you can just run at a deficit and these people will pick up the slack because essential workers, right? And like all this, or people can work from home or this and that. And so, all again, and it's not just, you know, like folks who are cleaning hotel rooms or who are wait staff or who are cooks and all that. It is, you know, this is a Affecting like desk jobs, white collar jobs too. Everyone is in the same boat. Our bosses are trying to get away with bringing the same amount of workload back and paying us far less. And so, look, this was a long time coming. The pandemic only jumpstarted this. There's a reason this is a hot labor summer yet again, especially here in LA with the Writers Guild strike still on and the the actors strike potentially going forward. So it is going to be a very exciting and interesting summer and good on these hotel workers. Um, and again, I think it can de- it's so good because it reminds
0: us that we're again, we're all in the same boat. Exactly. And we'll keep an eye on all of those strikes moving forward here on Unbossed. Francesca, thank you so much for joining me today. Remind the people where they can follow you and see more of your content. Hell yeah, at Franny Feo on
1: all the things. I'm now more on TikTok, so at Franny Feo and on and on YouTube. Listen to and follow the Bituation Room podcast on the TYT Network. Such a pleasure, Ray.
0: Absolutely, and everybody, don't forget, you can check out both of our videos on Rebel HQ, YouTube and Facebook. Thank you everybody for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow for more on Boss, but don't go anywhere because Watchlist is next.
1: Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and the Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.